0: This time of the year, uh, it's been my practice over several years now that I begin to read personally the accounts of the death of our Lord and uh, devotionally reading that as well as some other things. But I think I want to challenge you to do that. Will you take the rest of this month and on every day read one of the accounts of the crucifixion, of the resurrection? And just do that over and over again for this, this month. And it'll, it'll get it fresh in your heart, fresh in your mind. And it'll be a blessing to you. In the book of Luke, I want to read the account as recorded in the Gospel of Luke, beginning with verse 27 of chapter number 23. Chapter 23 of the book of Luke and verse number 27. There followed him a great company of people and of women which also bewailed and lamented him. But Jesus turned to them and, and them said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming in the which ye shall say, Blessed are they or the barren, and the womb that never bare, and the paps that never gave suck.' Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? And there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the malefactors, one on the right and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he be the Christ and the, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and of Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him saying if thou be Christ save thyself and us but the other answered rebuked him saying dost not thou fear God seeing thou art in the same condemnation and we indeed justly for we receive the due reward of our deeds but this man hath done nothing amiss and he said unto Jesus Lord remember me when thou comest to thy kingdom And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. And when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God saying, certainly this was a righteous man. Will you bow with me for prayer? Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the blessed privilege of being here. Now, Father, in the strong name of Jesus, I plead the blood over this place. Our Father, in in my presence in this building this morning and in your presence and in the vast radio audience and those who join us by means of Internet, There are hundreds and maybe thousands of people, our Father, who never have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And I pray, God, this morning that God the Holy Spirit would deal with hearts. Our Father, it's not by might nor by power, but by your Spirit. And I pray, God, the Holy Spirit right now will deal with hearts. And God, by your grace, you draw them. And Father, I pray in Jesus' name this morning, some man, woman, boy or girl, would come to know the full joy of having sins forgiven and heaven is their home. I pray God for your anointing. Speak to hearts now and I'll thank and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. The pivotal point of all of history is Calvary. It's the place where God came and gave his son. I want to remind you again. I mentioned this, I think, on last Sunday evening or maybe on Wednesday night. As I was going through preaching on favorite Bible verses and we came to the favorite of all of the folk here at Benson Grove and literally around the world. And it's John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoso believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And for the first time in all of my time, I know that that passage of scripture was spoken to Nicodemus by Jesus. He's, he's talking with the ruler of the Jews. And he gave that great verse. But for the first time, God began to deal with my heart about the reality of what that meant and that Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus. And it was when he said to Nicodemus, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoso in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. He, of course, was referring to himself. But in God's omniscience, in the Lord Jesus Christ being incarnate in human flesh, he understood that he was slain before the foundation of the world. And thus in that verse is the past tense form of that verb, gave. He'd already given him. Before he appeared in flesh, before he came in Bethlehem, before he ever did a miracle, before he ever healed a lame limb, before he ever bore the cross to Calvary, before he ever was nailed to that cross and suffered and bled and died, God in eternity had already given his son. And Jesus Christ knew exactly what it meant when he said, God so loved the world that he gave. That word gave in the Hebrew text or in the Greek text, Aramaic, that Jesus spoke in has more of a meaning than just simply to give somebody a gift. It is a, it's a term that refers to sacrifice. It is a sacrificial gift. It's, it, you know, if, if I gave you just some little token, that'd be one thing. But if I sold my home and all that we have and gave you everything I have, that's what that word means. It means that God gave him very, his very self. When Abraham was up on that mountain, he was going to offer Isaac. And Isaac looked around and he saw everything except the lamb. God, Abraham said to his son this, God himself shall provide a lamb. God himself. And so God gave him his, his own lamb. And that's what it means. It means that he gave as a sacrificial offering his son. And Jesus was standing in the of Nicodemus saying, Nicodemus, you can go to heaven because God gave me. I'm going to suffer and bleed and die for you. I'm going to die. And here's the account of that actual taking place at Calvary. Thank the Lord for that. As you look at the, the scenes prior to that arrival as of the arrival of Calvary, look, look at the listing of people that are there. Look back in verse number 27. And it said, there followed him a great crowd, a great company of people. And every time in, in all of history, in, the, in regard to Christ and, and the cross and the death and burial and resurrection of our Lord, there's always been a curious crowd. There are those who simply follow as part of the company of crowd. There are people in this building this morning who did not come with any real intent of having an encounter with God. It's just a matter of routine. They just came out of curiosity. There are people around the the world who have gathered around the cause of Christ or the the Bible itself. And they're just a curious crowd. They don't have any invested interest in it. They don't have any intent to respond to it. It's just another thing, just like studying about Plato or some other, some other uh, famous person or, or some other philosophy. It's just a group of people who are part of the crowd. Now, I wonder this morning if you're just part of the crowd, part of the company. Then there were a group of women who followed behind and they were lamenting and weeping and wailing. Now, you understand that in that society, there were people who did that as, as a means of living. They were professional criers. They would go. You'd rent some mourners. If you had a family, you would have folk to come and you'd pay them to cry over your loved one. And they were there. And some of them came just maybe hoping to get a tip, just get a little something because they were there. But I think a lot of those women that were weeping and waiting over the Lord saw what was happening there as a great tragedy. He was a good man. He was a kind man. He was a man who did good things and what a tragic end to his life. When they saw the gore of the blood and the abuse of our Lord, I, I don't doubt that they thought this was a, tra- was a travesty. It's a great tragedy. It's an awful thing. And they were just moved emotionally by it. And a lot of people gather around the cross of Christ and they look at it. And then when they, when they see the, the visualization of it. They see the cross and they see the blood. They are moved emotionally and they think this was an awful thing and they're stirred emotionally but they never respond in belief. And many of you my dear friend, it comes at this time of the year and you think about the cross and you, you're kind of moved by the by this music and by the singing and by the, the sights and sounds of Calvary. But it's an emotional thing to you. You never responded in simple faith. And then if you follow a little further as the Lord, of course, he rebukes them. But then it goes on and it says down in verse 33. And when they had come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. There were those who simply out of routine and out of responsibility crucified the Lord. I don't know that they had any vindictiveness in them. I don't know if they had any real hatred for Christ. It was their job. They were there just because it was sense of duty. That's why they were involved. I don't think they maliciously drug him out, although they did abuse him. And some of them, I'm sure, took some sort of fiendish pride in mutilating his body. And maybe some, of course, did hate him because of, they saw him as a rebel against Rome and they were, they were citizens of Rome and soldiers of Rome. But many of them just went through the routine. No telling how many people they'd crucified. No, many time, no telling how many times they'd driven nails in somebody's hands and feet. No telling. On that particular day, we said they did at least three. Could have been more. And they did it every day, perhaps. It was just routine. And many people gather around Christ and gather around the cross and come to the house of God. It's just routine. If there's there's no real draw to the things of God, there's there's no gleaning or getting a great blessing from being around Christ. It's just a routine, come in and out, much like going somewhere out to eat or going to some other entertainment, and and it's just kind of a you know just a routine type thing. And then there's a group here, not only those who crucified him, but if you'll notice in verse thirty four, it says this. And Jesus said to Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment, and they cast lots. And they were there, those who out of the scenes of Calvary had no interest in his shed blood, had no interest in his giving his life as a sacrifice, but they were there just to get a little bit of material blessing. They they were going to take his garments, try to make a little money. They were going to gamble over that. And there are a lot of people who flock to religion and flock to Christ and, and follow around just because they might get a little something out of it. They think maybe there's some little benefit to it. We want to help people. We try to help everybody we can. But you'd be surprised how many phone calls we get, how many visits we get for people who need help. They need money. They need this. They need that. They need the other. And always, invariably, I ask them, "Are you an active member of a church somewhere?" Well, no, we hadn't found one we like yet, and and, uh, we're not involved. All we were used to go way over yonder where We don't go anymore. We tried to find somewhere, but this might be where we would come, you know. And there, there's still that crowd around. Those who gamble at the foot of the cross. Those who want just some sort of little trinket or some little financial gain because of their proximity to the cross. They thought maybe by hanging around, they'd, they could get a little something out of it. Look at verse number 35. And the people stood beholding. And they were just some onlookers. There were just some people who were just stand around looking, you know. It's just kind of like you know, if you have a fire engine goes by, or if, you, if, if there's there's somebody stopped on the side of the road, and there's a police car there, just onlookers. There were a crowd who just, you know, because of the crowd, wonder why all these people are here. There are people out riding up down the road, and they wonder why all your cars out in the parking lot. I wonder what's going on. And some on some occasions they may come just as a sightseer, just just kind of onlookers and looking. They, they not, didn't come to receive Christ. They didn't come to worship him. They were just onlookers. Look at a little further, if you will, verse 35. And it says this, as not only the people stood behold, but the rulers also uh, with them derided him, saying he saved others, let him save himself. The Hebrew word for, for to deride mean, means that they laughed at him with contempt. And there's some who see Christ and they see what, we call, what they call religion with contempt. And they laugh, they mock Christ, they mock the cross, they mock the blood, they make fun of you. Oh, they're, they're, they're too sophisticated maybe to, to, to say that to your face. But in the back of their mind, they think you're pitiful. They think you're, you're, you're mentally deficient. They think you've got some sort of, you know, problem. And they sure, Dr. Field could straighten you out. And they laugh at you, they deride you. And that's always been, here it is at the cross, nothing new. Nothing new for people to mock the things of God. Nothing new for people to reject the, the, the truth of the Bible. Nothing different for people to laugh and, and think that they know far and they're superior than any of those who, us who believe the Bible. They're right here at the cross, those mockers. And then in verse number 39, it says this. And one of the male factors railed on him. And this is more than just mocking. This is out and out belligerent anger. Here is a person who's a charlatan. Here's somebody who says he can save. Here's somebody who says he can deliver. And he said, if if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. He is angry at Christ. He's angry at God. He's he's angry. And he said, if you're who you say you are, why don't you do something about what's going on him? They're just mad about the fact that he claimed to be Christ. There are those who are angry. The word malefactor, by the way, means evildoer. They've called Christ that before. And it says in this passage of Scripture that they crucified Christ and two other, two other male factors with him. They put Christ in that category as an evil person. But there's one unique man in this whole crowd is one man who received Christ. I want to share with you the truth of the three crosses this morning, just briefly. Number one, you see the picture there. There are three crosses on the hill that day. The Lord Jesus Christ, of course, is dying and we picture him as being in that middle cross and I certainly know that he was because the Bible indicates that one was on the left and one was on the right. That's right and proper to do that. The Lord Jesus Christ is in that center position That is the cross of redemption. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. He came to give his life a ransom. Without shedding the blood, there is no remission of sin. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. There is absolutely no sin in him. None. He's absolutely sinless. But according to the book of John and 1 Peter, he has sin on him. The Bible said that he bore all of our sins on that cross. All of our sin was laid on Christ. He never committed a sin, but he bore all of our sins. All of our sins was laid on him. The picture is given to us in the Old Testament. When they would bring the lamb for the sacrifice, the people would lay their hands on that lamb and confess all of their sin in figure transferring their sin to that lamb. That lamb would then be offered as a sacrifice. And what God in His, in His marvelous grace did, was it took all of your sin and all of my sin and you put them on Christ. You see, that's how you can be saved. That's how you can be saved. I've quoted the verse, no telling how many times, but once again in the book of Romans, here's what it says. It said, Scarcely for a righteous man would one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God committed His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. While you were a sinner, some of you well, I got to quit this. I got to start this. I got to do something different before I could ever get saved. But the Bible said, while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. On that cross, he suffered and bled and died. He paid sin's ransom. Oh, intellectually, people say, I can't see that. You're exactly right. The Bible said the natural man doesn't receive the things of God, but there'll be a day by God's marvelous grace When he'll speak to your heart and you'll see it. You'll see that he did bear your sin and you'll be convicted of your sin and you'll see him as your only hope of a savior. And oh, what a wonderful, blessed day that is when you receive him and you understand that it's real and thank God for what he does in life. We receive him as savior and Lord. Isaiah said he bore our grief, he carried our sorrow. What a blessing that he was willing to do that on that cross. There's the cross of redemption. How can you be saved? How is it though, being a sinner? How is it that somebody like me could go to heaven and and a sinner? How is it? Well, the simple reason is this. Jesus Christ already paid our sin debt. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That means more than just a simple small gift. It's a sacrificial gift. It means an offering. It means he offered his son as a sacrifice. It means that he was the atoning death. Jesus Christ died, my dear friend, a violent death. It was awful. I mean, it was just awful. than you can ever imagine. It was voluntary. He came and he gave his life a ransom. But my dear friend, it was vicarious, which means this. He died in our place. He paid our sin debt. He died so we could live. And thank God if you've ever experienced that, you know that so. The middle cross is the cross of redemption. But then if you'll notice, there's another cross. In this verse I just read to you, in verse number 39 of the Bible, it says, and one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, if thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. Oh, angry, angry. Here's a man hanging in the middle cross that is sinless, but he has all the sin and all the world on him. And here's a man hanging on a cross. The word malefactor means evil doer. There's no doubt about it. He's an evil man. He had sin in him. And he also had sin on him. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He was a sinner. The Bible said, where's one man sinned into the world and death passed upon all men and that all have sinned. He was a sinner. He had sin. He had sin in him. But the Bible said God had concluded all under sin. He had sin on him. That is the condemnation of sin. The book of uh, of John chapter 3 verse 36 says that he's condemned already. And so are you you're dead in trespasses and sin. Execution's not taking place so far as the ultimate in your life. But the Bible says that if you've never trusted Christ, you're dead in trespasses and sin. The Bible said that there's sin in you and there's sin on you. The judgment of God hangs over you, ready to be executed at any time. And here's a man, notice this. Here are two men, one on one side, one on the other. Notice how close they are to the Savior. Never been anybody much closer than these two men. I don't know how far the cross was apart, but I do know this. They climbed that hill together. I know that they were in close proximity. Well, think about that. Be that close. Be that close to Jesus. And then be in hell for all eternity. Both of them were close to them, to him. Both of them were right by his side, as a matter of fact. And they were gathered there. They were, they were right there. And both of these men were condemned Both of them were about to die. I mean, there's no doubt about it that they were sinners and no doubt about it that they were going to experience a physical death. They were already condemned. Both of them were. And both of them cried. Both of them called his name. Both of them spoke to him. And I have people all the time tell me, well, I'm saved because I talk to the Lord all the time. No, no. This man's in hell today. And he cried and he called out to the Lord. But he never received him as Savior. And you can pray. And you can pray for mama and pray for your baby and pray for everybody else. But if you've never called out to him in to be, and belief and trust him as your Savior, you're lost this morning. Here's the, here's the cross, not up for redemption, but of rejection. He rejected Christ. You say, Brother Billy, he, he railed on him. He called to him. And he pleaded if he was the Christ to save himself and save that, he wanted physical saving. Many of you pray for physical healing. Many of you pray about financial needs. You pray about a lot of things. I had the privilege a few weeks ago to share Christ with a trucker. And he called me and his life was a mess. And he said, I do not understand it, preacher. I prayed about my family. They had, had bad family situations. About everything, about lose his truck, about all this stuff. He prayed all about all these things. And I, my heart went out to him because he was broken. He's weeping. He said, I've prayed and prayed and I talked to God, talked to God, talked to God. And nothing seems to help. Nothing works. And I felt sorry for him. My heart broke. And as I began to talk to him, I, I, I thought I knew what the issue was. And I said, can I ask you this? You've prayed and talked to him and you cried and talked to him. And you've asked him to help you with your job and, and put your family back together and do this. But have you ever asked him to come in your heart and forgive you personally? Of all you're seeing. He said never. I've never done that. I said you got to start there. That's where you start. And here's a man who wanted physical deliverance. But not spiritual deliverance. He, he cried out. And he was a praying man. But he's in hell today. Because he rejected Christ. You see, I, I'm not a Christ rejecter. Christ said this. He that's not with me is against me. And you either receive him or you reject him. And if you've never received him, you in fact are rejecting him right now. Can I remind you of what it says in the book of Joel? Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. And can I say something? I am convinced that the day of judgment is close in America. America. And the day of his coming is soon. Multitudes, multitudes, and in the sound of my voice, in the ready audience, and in this building, there may be hundreds or thousands of people who are kind of just vacillating, just back and forth. I want to trust him. I don't want to trust him. I want to be saved. I don't want to be saved. Is it real? Is it not real? And you're just kind of in that valid decision. You know what happens when Jesus comes? Too late. Too late. Oh, that sad verse in the Old Testament. Summer's ended. The harvest is past and we are not saved. What a tragedy to see the door of the ark close and to beat and to cry and to beg to get in, but God shut the door. God's getting ready to shut the door, friends. You have a space now to repent and to believe on the Lord. He's not willing that any should perish. He wants you to be saved, but my dear friend, his spirit will not always strive with man in that he's flesh. Rejection. The sinner cross is the cross of redemption. That other cross is the cross of rejection, but thank God there is another cross. There's the cross of reception. In the sinner cross is a man with no sin but with our sin laid on him. On the other cross is a man who had sin in him and sin on him. But on this cross, this third cross, is a man who has his sin removed. All of his sin gone. All of his sin taken away. How can that happen? How can that be? How can this man believe? How can this man be saved? He has his sin removed and taken away. Notice what it says. Verse 40. But the other answered and rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God? Don't you reverence God? See thou are in the same condemnation. And we justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man had done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord Remember me when thou comest to thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. It's a wonderful picture of salvation. Do you know everybody ever got saved? got saved just like that. He got saved by calling on the name of the Lord. You know, where, you know what? He's, he's in the same condemnation. He's got nails in his hands, nails in his feet. He can't get off the cross. He can't go to Sunday school. He couldn't hold a Bible. He couldn't hold a hymnal. He couldn't get baptized. He couldn't do any good deeds. His life was over. He was without a doubt a sinner. There's no hope for him. His blood's draining out of his body. He'll be dead very soon. He's there in that awful position. He only had one recourse and one recourse only. And that was to call and to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody has ever been saved that didn't get saved just like this man. N- nobody. Nobody ever got saved by keeping the law. Nobody ever got saved by getting baptized. Nobody got saved by doing good deeds. Everybody got saved just like this man on the cross. What did he do? Notice a couple of things. Number one, he admitted he was a sinner. Got to know you're a sinner. You got to understand that you're lost without, without any hope. Justly condemned I, I des- I'm not I, I'm a sinner. I deserve to go to hell. I'm guilty before God. Jesus came to save sinners, Paul said, of whom I am chief. Writer of fourteen books in this New Testament said, I am the daddy rabbit of all sinners. That's Johnson County, so you don't understand what I'm talking about. He said, I am the chiefest of all sinners. I know that in me, that is my flesh dwelleth no good thing. And you don't ever get saved until you realize there's nothing good in you and you're lost and on your way to hell. But when you realize that there's hope for you, as long as you're as good as the preacher, as long as you're good as the deacon, as long as you're good as anybody else, you'll be in hell for all eternity. But when you recognize that you're lost and on your way to hell and you'll acknowledge that to God, boy, the door of grace is open to you. I am a sinner and justly condemned, he said. I am a sinner. He confessed that he was a sinner. My dear friend, notice something else. Not only did he confess that he himself was a sinner, but he, he saw the true vision of who Christ was. He saw Christ as a Savior. If the man said, you're the Christ. If you're the Christ, come off that cross and save me and save, and, and save this other fellow and save yourself. Big if. This fellow didn't have any ifs. He said, Lord. No man calls him Lord but by the Holy Ghost, the Bible said. He saw him for who he really was. He is the Lord. I've been reading Ezekiel. And that, and that day's coming here. Over and over again, as God brings judgment on Israel, he said, and they will know that I'm the Lord. They're going to know it. They're going to know I'm the Lord. When judgment falls and when I do these things, they're going to recognize who I am. They're going to know I'm Lord. But this man didn't have to wait to then. By the sweet Holy Ghost of God, he saw him for who he really was. He saw him as the Lord. Oh, my dear friend, listen. He didn't see the crown of thorns. He saw the diadem upon his head. He didn't see him on a tree. He saw him on the throne. He didn't see him dying. He saw him victorious over death, hidden in the grave. He didn't see him in defeat, but he saw him in victory. He didn't see him as a man who'd lost all of his followers, but he saw him as king of kings and Lord of lords and king of a kingdom. He saw him as Savior. He saw him as that. But that's not enough. You know, it's not enough to know you're a sinner. You know, it's not enough to know who Jesus is, that Jesus is a Savior. That's not enough. He called on him. And he said, Lord, remember me when thou comest to thy kingdom. You don't have to say it just that way. But he's saying, Lord, know me. I want to know you and I want you to know me. The Bible said, listen, Jesus knows his sheep. He knows who they are. He knows them. And he said to that other crowd, depart from me. I never knew you. And he said, Lord, I want you to know me. I want to know you and I want you to know me. And he said, Lord, remember me. He received Jesus Christ as his savior and lord. He called out to him. He responded in definite faith. He exercised faith. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. And by faith he believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, my dear friend, you think about this. The Bible said the rich man who fared sumptuously every day died, and in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. That's an awful way to go to hell, isn't it? I mean, just sitting around one day being a fat cat, got, you know, got Cadillacs, and got plenty of food, and got a big house, and got a mansions, and got servants, and, and just everything you're man- and then all of a sudden you die, and you plunge into hell, and there's weeping, and wailing, and gnashing teeth, and you've lost everything. That'd be an awful thing, wouldn't it? But how would it be to be hanging on a cross looking into the face of the Son of God and rail on Him and when life left your body you plunged into hell for all eternity. You say, Brother Billy, that's an awful thing. No, i tell you what was awful. What was awful is when Jesus arrived Here's a man who hung on a cross beside him and he plunges in that place called called paradise. It's where the lost people go and on this side there was a great guff and on that side those who were saved. And that man plunged into hell, looked over and all of a sudden the Lord Jesus Christ comes into that place. And in that place of darkness now there's brilliant light. And those who were there on the other side where there's a great gulf where Abraham's bosom was and they couldn't go across. The very Son of God walks in and there's jubilance and rejoicing and praising God. And here's a man in hell screaming I know him. I know him. I saw him today. I hung on the cross behind. I know him. Hey Jesus it's me. It's Jesus. Jesus it's me. I hung on the cross beside you. And Jesus turns and says I never knew you and for all eternity today 2011 that man's in hell saying I knew him I saw him I knew him I died beside him I know him but he never trusted him but on the other side there's a man who all of his life was wicked and in one brief moment as the Holy Ghost of God by His grace allowed him to see Jesus, he said, Lord Jesus, come in my heart and save me. And when he died, he ended up in Abraham's bosom. And there was Abraham and Isaac and and Moses and Elijah and all the royalty of the Old Testament. There was a man there who was taken who, who had leprosy and he 's there healed there's somebody else that he knew from that community, and now they 're in in this place of joy and rest and comforted. Oh, what a wonderful place it is! but as the Lord Jesus Christ comes, and that eternal light shines in the bosom of Abraham, and there 's Abraham, and there's Moses, and, and, and all of these people. And, and, and what, this, this man who had lived such a wicked life, and in just one brief moment, he exercised faith and received Christ. It, in his mind, perhaps at that moment, he is just obscure from the crowd. And the Lord Jesus Christ points him out and calls him out from the crowd of Moses and Elijah. And he said, I kept my word. You're here by my blood and by my grace. Hallelujah. Can I tell you something? I want to thank the Lord that there was a day that I, a sinner, believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And thank God I know him, but he knows me. Would you bow your head in prayer this morning with every head bowed, every eye closed? Three crosses. There's a cross of redemption. There's a cross of rejection. And the cross of reception. One of those crosses represents you. The one in the middle could only be Christ. He's the only Savior. But you're either that man on the cross of rejection or that man on the cross of reception. Have you, by grace, through faith, believed on the Lord Jesus Christ?